0: Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Lynch, who heads LATAM initiatives at Consensus. We discuss why Brazil is such a key market for Consensus, and dive into the popularity of products like MetaMask and MetaMask Institutional in the region. Great. So we're here today with Daniel from Consensus. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for the invite. Really happy to be here. Amazing, amazing. I'm glad to have you on board here. I know we've been talking about this for a while, so glad to finally uh, get this arranged. Um, to get started, let's just get kind of dive in. Who are you? Uh, what's your professional background? And then we'd love to kind of dive into what Consensus is.
1: Hey. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I am uh, Daniel Lynch. I uh, lead two. Uh, Kind of initiatives here in consensus i'm in charge of our metamask institutional businesses partnerships as well as for consensus initiatives broadly in latin america i've been at consensus a little over two years uh i've been in these roles for a while previously i was also responsible for our financial institution segments so working with the likes of mastercard jp morgan etc before that i was at swift uh, now I know you're in Brazil, so I, I am talking about the global financial network, not the uh, meat uh, delivery company that is prominent in Brazil. But uh, I was there for about seven years at a few roles. But about the last half of it, I was responsible for a lot of our payments and uh, payments innovation initiatives. Uh, additionally, before that, I worked in supply chain software a little and I got into the blockchain world uh, really uh At my earliest stage in 2012, I went to a wedding in Staten Island. I live here in New York. And I had a friend from Microsoft who was telling me I had to get more into Bitcoin, which I'd mildly heard of. I bought a few, I researched it. My interest was peaked. I was, uh, I was, I had a novice or a mild level of interest in Bitcoin. I had a little price app on my phone that I would check maybe daily. I would read the news sometimes if there was a Mt. Gox or a Silk Road like story. I found it interesting but not um, like absolutely compelling in the sense that I was a true believer. But in 2015, as I noted, I had been working at SWIFT. Previously, that I'd worked in like supply chain, supply chain finance a bit. Uh, so having worked in like payments, security settlement, and reconciliation, supply chain, I one Thursday, I think, went to a workshop that was hosted by Consensus And I want to say BlackRock on uh, solidity. And I was blown away. This was probably, I think, November of 2015 uh, with the Ethereum ecosystem, and I progressively became more and more of a true believer in Ethereum and that entire ecosystem. And over a few years, at Swift was pushing us to do more and more things uh, with Consensus with Ethereum. And eventually, um, in 2021, I made the move over to Consensus after, after almost doing it a few times in the past. I decided it was time to dedicate uh, the entirety of my work life to this and uh, couldn't be more
0: pleased. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and then so so why Consensus? I guess in 2021, there was sort of a plethora of opportunities across crypto and Web3. That was sort of the, the boom years when everyone was hiring. Like why? I mean, do you really want to focus in on the Ethereum ecosystem?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, ConsenSys uh, broadly is a company that does embrace like a multi-chain future contrary to uh, what some of the perception may be, uh, you know, we're very deeply involved in a number of initiatives, both with EVM and non-EVM chains. Uh, we've worked extensively with a number of these protocols. If you look at the those that are available on uh, like Infura, for instance, or natively in MetaMask, things like Avalanche and Finance Smart Chain and, you know, having worked with all the layer twos. Additionally, with MetaMask Snaps, which maybe we'll have time to talk about later, we are moving to a world where MetaMask will be able to seamlessly work with things like Bitcoin, Solana, Polkadot, etc. So uh, just to dispel the notion that we're totally Ethereum focused for a moment, um, we do, I think... um, invest in an inordinate amount of time, or not ordinate, an appropriate amount of time in ensuring the success of the Ethereum ecosystem. And really just, you know, I chose Consensus because frankly, as I noted before, I'd almost joined in like 2018, 2019. A number of friends were here. I have just been incredibly impressed or with the uh, kind of dedication that Consensus has to uplifting the ecosystem, to ensuring that there is success uh, for... You know, users, companies and developers is like these three different categories where they invest, I think, um, you know, thoughtfully across all three. And then, of course, I think consensus has always been, you know, a body for like responsible innovation in the space, really looking at like inclusion, uh, UX, real world use cases since day one. So as I mentioned, I almost joined in 2018, 2019 a few times. I've always it was always my place if I was going to leave Swift, if I was going to jump over there. And without casting aspersions on any other of the company, I think there's a number of amazing companies and protocols that do incredible work here. But for me, there was no question. I, I, you know, the home of, of MetaMask, of uh, Infura, uh, of now Lenya, a lot of exciting initiatives in the past uh, that's been here since day one, really kind of seeding the ecosystem. I think consensus was that was a quite easy choice for me.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've always I've always had a lot of respect for Joe Lubin, the, the founder of Consensus, since the I think I first met him in maybe twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. And it just it had interactions with him in various, you know, seasons over the years. And I've always just found him to be like he's kind of like a true missionary, right? Like there's a lot of other, you know, kind of less painful things he could be doing with his life than trying to build build this stuff, right? Uh, like he'd probably be on a yacht somewhere living pretty good if he wanted to be. But he's, he strikes me as just like a true believer, true missionary. Um, you know, love him or hate him. Like you gotta, you know, give him praise for his dedication so um so maybe uh let's talk briefly about um just maybe actually before we, we dive into the specifics of consensus and kind of your product offerings and whatnot uh let's dive into a survey that you guys can commissioned uh earlier this year i'm gonna share my screen here so for those of you watching on video we'll, we'll walk through this um but basically you guys did a survey of kind of global crypto you know kind of serve of attitudes perceptions Uh, across a number of markets and one of the markets you focused on was brazil so you did a bit of a deep dive here uh surveyed a thousand people between ages of 18 and 65 uh earlier this year 2023 and uh wondering if you could maybe just kind of give us like a high level like what were the big takeaways what are the big learnings from this
1: yeah certainly and i would i would uh, encourage any of the listeners to go ahead and check it out i think you know, we're super proud of the work we did here. Uh, We partnered with YouGov, if you know, they're a very prominent uh, polling firm. Uh, They have participated in everything from presidential down to like municipal elections in the US and other countries, as well as a lot of interesting like issue polling and demographic studies. Uh, We did what we think is kind of a first of our kind global survey across kind of two verticals. So in one sense, we wanted to get people's familiarity with explicitly Web3 concepts. So like, have they bought a cryptocurrency? Do they understand it? Do they understand NFTs, Web3, DeFi, et cetera? But then also uh, we wanted as a second line of questioning to really evaluate, I would say, like the fundamentals of not just, you know, does token go up? But like, what is the architecture of a better, newer Internet? And as Web3 adoption, Happens? How can we really uh, improve upon some of these major issues that these folks have seen? So we we uh, really got deeply into concepts of like privacy, compensation, and ownership, uh, not just in the explicitly Web three sense, but also how people feel about their interactions with like social networks, messaging platforms. Um, different uh, blogging platforms, places, microblogging platforms, which I guess is ultimately social media now. But you know how they feel about their participation, there, their agency, their identity, and their privacy. And we did this really in in order to do what we 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 launched a rebrand recently. Um, really, not essentially a very big shift in our product strategy, but in the way that we communicated it. We wanted to uh, really reorient folks around. We've always been very, I think, uh, dedicated to creating amazing tools for developers. I mean, anyone who's used Truffle or, you know, this is like free and FURA tiers. We've been helping these folks out for ages. We have the diligence audits, which is probably like the world's largest, most respected smart contract audit service. Um, But, you know, when we talk about builders, we did want to make the concept a little bit more inclusive, not just to be oriented around developers, but also like. You know if you're an artist if you're like an influencer with a youtube channel if you're just a person posting to like social media uh we wanted to give folks like the framing to think that you know in many senses they're builders of the internet as well and in web3 they can be builders without you know necessarily writing you know solidity code but also contributing to this ecosystem again whether they're staking creating an nft and Artists doing a token-gated experience. We want to invite those folks to think of themselves as builders, which is a big part of like why we frame this along kind of explicitly Web3 concepts, but as well as dissatisfaction with Web2. And uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk a little bit about the results if you want, specifically for Brazil especially.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of slides here that kind of caught my attention that I'd like to go into. I mean, I think the first one here is, okay, everyone has heard of cryptocurrency, pretty much all Brazilians had heard of cryptocurrencies, which which maybe in 2023, that's not like really that, Abnormal of a thing in any market, Um, but I I did find some of these barriers to entry to be kind of interesting. Uh, One just being like, you know, the market's too volatile, too risky, uh, too many scams, don't know where to start. Um, And some of this, I I mean, all these make sense. Like, there's nothing here that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's in there. But, yeah, but part of me when I read this, I'm like, well, it's it's 2023. Like these these seem like the same type of criticisms that. If you ran this survey in 2013, like we would have had these same results, basically. Um, And just kind of wondering, like, you know, what's your what's your take on this kind of barriers to access uh, uh, question here, specifically in the Brazil ecosystem, because Brazil in particular has has done a pretty good job of building different on ramps through regulated, trusted platforms, uh, like some of the the fintechs and the banks and things. Uh, There's quite a few number of, of relatively good actor exchanges here that people can enter through um but just kind of curious as to what you what your reaction is on uh, was on this particular question
1: surely so uh maybe if i can answer this three ways i mean first just to to reiterate some of the brazil results secondly to talk about what we're doing for some of those challenges and then sure. three maybe a little bit of the paradigm shift that i'm kind of talking about with the survey and what we're trying to induce in users uh or builders they're no longer users everyone's a builder but uh number one i would say along the results uh although you might not be surprised that 98% of people had like heard of cryptocurrency or whatever. I do think that Brazil did have some somewhat exceptional results. Like the 98% of folks that were aware of it was marginally higher than other countries. But I will note that there uh, also was a question about whether folks thought that they truly understood kind of blockchain and Web3. Mm. And that number grew in 2022 to 2023 in Brazil from 41 to 59%. So really a, a 50% growth crossing... Uh, into a you know a full majority of folks within the country. So I think that is certainly an advance that happened over that year. Um, you know, if it happens again at the same pace this year, we will be at 90% of Brazilians. but let's see. Um, <laughs> uh, there was also very interesting across both being aware of cryptocurrencies and also think, it, it, positing that they, they really understand kind of Web3. Uh, Brazil was unique as a country with gender parity, which I think is very important. Results across like male and female respondents were uh, remarkably close, which is really interesting. And then, of course, uh, Brazil was one of our highest countries for folks that had responded that they had, in fact, purchased these type of assets. Uh, 41% had owned cryptocurrencies at one point, and uh, 46% said that they planned on investing over the next year. So um, despite, you know, general awareness globally, I I think Brazil did have some uh, really interesting results there. To your question about what we can do better, you know, Three things we're doing, I think, are going to aid the current kind of perceptions and issues people have. But then also I would like that people totally change their perception and with Web3. And I'll talk about both those things briefly. Number one is in terms of addressing the current issues, we really see three verticals here within MetaMask and I think, or within consensus, but like MetaMask particularly is really our gate to retail. I mean, most inferior users are not novices, right? They're like, <laughs> they're like building dApps and stuff, right? Um, and MetaMask institutional is obviously for like uh, funds and builders and exchanges. Uh, but when we talk about folks that are really taking those first steps, The three issues that we find consistently are, like, education, UX, and security, right? at Mm. every step of the way. So, like, folks, whether they don't understand, like, the concepts of Web3, you know, uh, understanding the management of private keys or secret recovery phrases can be tough. What are they actually investing in? What are they buying? What are the mechanics for things like bridging or swapping assets? Uh, we are trying to address this uh, through, I mean, we've always been really free with like sharing materials. If you ever look on our website, you'll find that we have like an abundant source of like blogs and free research that we do. Uh, we have a huge research team that is like weekly publishing tokenomics reports, things on L2s, what is ZK, etc. cetera. Uh, we wanted to really create a more uh, curated experience though, for like total novices. So if, Uh, Any of your users, uh, they're probably not in need of this type of education, but if they got a cousin or a friend who needs to learn, I would implore them to go to learn.metamask.io. We launched it this spring. Uh, It's Metamask Learn, which is essentially a, a learning platform where there's all kinds of cool text and videos and demonstrations of how to do web three primitives like buying an nft swapping an asset sending a remittance but more importantly there's actually kind of like a test uh metamask um uh uh instance within it so you can actually do all these things in a a no stress environment so if you want to practice sending like 100 usdc to your mom before uh you actually do it with real assets you can do that if you want to practice You know, using a MetaMask swap, if you want to practice signing into a platform using MetaMask, you can do all that. Uh, It's also available in like, I think, like 15 languages now. Portuguese was definitely one of the ones we first launched with along with Spanish. But yeah, in addition to all of these like core concepts, you'll find in each of them is actually a simulation of MetaMask. So you can step through those um, processes And really feel like you are uh, enabled before you're out there doing it with your real keys and your real assets. So we're really quite proud of this platform. We've seen tremendous usage, especially in Latin America. So we are quite happy that we're helping people kind of walk through this. We have uh, dozens of modules for beginners and kind of intermediate. We're going to start to do some more advanced ones around like things like gas management or account abstraction, as well as looking at some collaborations. uh, So maybe working with some larger uh, protocols and, uh, you know, apps to, uh, yeah, really give users that next level of education. Beyond education, I had said that, like, security and UX are also important. On the UX side, uh, we're super focused over the past year on making this. Uh, you know, there are a lot of centralized exchange experiences. I think there's been an excellent work done, particularly in LATAM. I'm, I'm a big friend of the folks from, like, Bitso and uh, Mercado Bitcoin and Ripio. Love them all. Uh, for the folks that are controlling their own keys or the folks who want the breadth of things that you can do with MetaMask, you know, um, we've always been focused on that breadth that you can do anything in Web3. But the past year and a half, we've also been thinking extensively about how you can do it easily. So if you look at uh, portfolio.metaMask.io, if you've seen this before, is a uh, dApp that we've created that really uh, allows you to visualize all the assets within your MetaMask wallet. You can sign into it. You can also just load random addresses if you're ever curious to take a look at someone else's, um, uh, but it, it will allow you to, it perceives all of your assets, uh, tokens, NFTs, et cetera, uh, uh, such that you can uh, more easily manage them. Um, but then additionally, if you see on the left-hand side here, we have a number of primitives that make it incredibly easy for folks to do things like swapping, bridging, staking, et cetera. So these are our you know, famous aggregators. Uh, Metamask swaps is very popular for aggregating all of like, the automated market makers and DEXs to make it very easy to have like a high execution, uh, low cost swap. Uh, we've extended that uh, kind of idea out to staking. Bridging, I think particularly is something that is very alienating for like new users. Um, and <laughs> even let's say- even all the hacks happen, advanced right? users. <laughs> Yeah. So we do, a, I think an excellent job of like auditing bridge providers and making it very easy for you to bridge across multiple networks in a very simple and intuitive way. And you know, we're gonna keep building on this MetaMask portfolio experience. So that's part of our, um, our initiatives around UX. We have a second kind of UX initiative any day now, I can't say exactly when. MetaMask snaps are gonna go live. So um, you may have heard of these, they've been live and test for developers for about a year and a half. MetaMask snaps is basically a way for folks to design third party extensions of the capabilities of MetaMask. Um, so you can think of it as kind of like an app store for MetaMask, Uh, so you can really do virtually, arbitrarily anything with snaps, right? So Hmm. uh, folks have created ones that make it easier to use MetaMask with like social media applications. Folks have done things around privacy and key management. Um, A very popular one is we have a lot of security uh, snaps coming out, wherein if you think there's like something wrong, uh, if you've signed the wrong transaction, there's kind of like an escape hatch you can click that'll quickly transfer all your assets to another wallet to protect them. And then I think most uh, top of mind for a lot of crypto people, although I'm very excited because, as I mentioned, snaps can do arbitrarily anything, is that um, many folks are excited that the there will be network support for a number of non-EVM networks. So there are already snaps in the works for, again, Bitcoin, Solana, etc. So within a month or two, uh, you'll wow. be able to really do uh, to interact with any network uh, using MetaMask. These snaps will go live. Very shortly, I can't say when, uh, but keep, keep keep your eyes on the news. Uh, and at first, there'll be all ones that we've audited. Uh, so you can feel a lot of uh, assurance and security using them. Uh, but we do want to move to a model where there is just kind of like an app store like model with like a directory where you can really have permissionless innovation there. So that's UX. And then lastly, for security, um, we are working with a lot of great providers where you can opt in to have you know, just better contract and fraud analysis in your wallet. So you may have seen like uh, we, uh, OpenSea and uh, Blockade have collaborated together uh, to have a way of preventing like malicious transactions uh, where you get alerts within MetaMask before confirming your transactions. So mm-hmm. we're doing some native integrations there into MetaMask, but then the snaps, as I mentioned, will enable folks to, much as you choose between like Norton Antivirus and I don't know, another... Defender, or whatever that you may have on your computer, um, uh, you will be able to choose from like a series of best in class uh, snaps providers. So, sorry that was pretty long, but the three <laughs> things are again, uh, really, uh, you know, security, UX, and usability and education. And then, lastly, I would say just the last thing around perception that paradigm changes, you know, as more and more people start doing really, truly useful things in Web3. Um, you know, I, I do note in Latin America, we see a ton of remittance volume, folks using MetaMask. I know Bitso has a very, I think, successful business. I think that's a very useful case. It's semi-financial. It's remittances. It's not really investment per se, right? But it is um, a real everyday, you know, headache for people. Remittance fees are ridiculous at like 7% in a lot of traditional folks. I would like to see that really start to extend into non-financial applications. So when you think about folks like XMTP, who are doing decentralized messaging, if you look at Lens and folks trying to do like decentralized social networks, now that we have layer twos like Linea and Base and Optimism and Arbitrum that can support these volumes, I think um, the perception of Web3 being a place for scams uh, will be, uh, even though we're doing amazing work with UX and security and education, uh, I don't think folks are going to feel particularly that, that it's like a dangerous zone to do messaging, you know, like when you message with your mom on WhatsApp, right? Like, I right. want that to be also a Web3 experience. I want like the way that people feel about posting like Twitter to be like posting the lens or something like that, such that, um, you know, uh, the, the breadth of activities that people do in Web3 are like inherently, you know, the the, the obviously, uh, again, remittances, the innovation we can bring in kind of the traditional FI world, things that are happening in DeFi financial applications are obviously super important to us but i would like to see it become a much lesser proportion of people's activities wherein web3 is more like a democratizing agent i think that allows you like agency over your data uh, mm-hmm. and i think that will uh, also contribute to you know that change in perception sorry that was very long-winded but yeah. <laughs> the three you know the, the the what we're doing and then also i think kind of like the entire paradigm shift in the industry
0: yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's really well articulated. So I, I appreciate that even though, yeah, maybe a little bit long winded, but it was, this is all good information, like key points. And I, I think this is very much like the time that the industry needs to kind of like have this sort of reframe of like, okay, what are we all actually doing here? And what's the purpose of all this uh, aside from just, you know, speculation or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's really impressive to see what, what, what the MetaMask team has built uh, on just the product front. I mean, I remember opening my first MetaMask wallet. I don't even know when it was just like oh my gosh, like, do I really feel comfortable like keeping my, my ETH in this thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and now it's like, I didn't even know you guys had the portfolio application. Uh, I mean, so it's, it's like almost like, a, you know, there's, there's these other, you know, like Zappify or Zerion, these other types of kind of portfolio aggregator type of things, and you guys have basically reproduced or produced like a version that basically kind of aggregates your entire portfolio, allows you to see everything, allows you to kind of do manage all your trades and, and swaps and everything in one place, um, which is super cool. So I wasn't even aware of that. So that that was super cool. And I, the MetaMask Learn is also really good too. I've used that a few times just to showcase to people who have some questions about basic things. I think you guys did really did a good job on that. So so nicely done. And uh, having it in multiple languages is also like pretty pretty killer as well. So um, maybe let's talk a bit more about um you know the kind of the consensus, you know, the consen- I mean, do you guys still call it the consensus mesh? I don't know if that's like old terminology or not, but like the consensus ecosystems like your, your suite of products and, and services uh, and you know, kind of what the play in Latin America and specifically Brazil is for these. I know Brazil is one of your largest accounts for just MetaMask users, uh, MetaMask retail, MetaMask wallets, uh, but it's also becoming a pretty big market for your MetaMask institutional uh, platform as well. So I uh, would love to get some color around just like the MetaMask retail adoption and then um, maybe take some time to explain what MetaMask institutional is and kind of what, what type of adoption you're seeing uh, in Latin America with that.
1: Surely, yeah. So at Consensus, I mean, again, we're focused really around, um, I think, in a unique way it, that our customer base is very much, I think, like a 360 view of everything that happens here. And, and our product strategy really reflects that, right? So we always want to support like retail people, regular people uh, to access Web3. Uh, we do want to help developers. So we have a series of developer tools, whether it's the MetaMask SDK and FURA, some of our like buzzing or diligent audit, uh, diligence audits, as well as, you know, with with like Linea, we want to really have a best in class uh, type two ZKVM layer two. And then um, additionally, we do work with like enterprise directly. That's where I think MetaMask Institutional comes in, which is a version of MetaMask uh, that maintains complete parity with MetaMask. So if you can do it with MetaMask, you can do it with MetaMask Institutional. So the whole world of Web3 is at your fingertips. But uh with this, you know, incredible reach, we did want to layer in a number of different uh, capabilities that are appropriate to an institution. So integration with third party custodians and custody tech. So whether it's like Fireblocks or BitGo or Credo or Liminal or Parfine or Kobo or Safe or Hex Trust, we have a number of custodians with different models. Some are qualified custodians, some are MPC tech. Um, you can create a vault there with a different like approval processes. So two out of three approvers or three out of four. You can whitelist a protocol or a um, you know, an address uh or an asset or have a value limit. That wallet will propagate in the MetaMask. So you can initiate any trades you want there, but maintain those controls on the side of the custodian. We also um have some pretty advanced portfolio management, I think a little bit beyond what we have in the Portfolio DAP, because, you know, the investigation or the the investments of some of these uh, actors gets quite uh, exotic and um, sophisticated. Uh, we also work uh, on integrating other, ty- I talked about how we integrate custodians, but I think of MetaMask Institutional is kind of like a Swift for Web3, where a number of different parties can integrate together. Like in the traditional financial world, like if you want to buy and sell stocks, Secretly behind the scenes, there are like investment managers, there's broker dealers, there's custodians, there's exchanges, there's CSDs, there's all kinds of actors, and they all integrate through single windows like Swift. If they all did one-off integrations with each other, you wouldn't be able to buy a stock or a bond. So much like I mentioned, we integrate all those custodians. We also integrate, for instance, like staking service providers. So if you want to stake with someone like Kiln or all Nodes or Blockdaemon, we integrate all of them. And... Um, uh, as well as we're looking into like risk providers, so like compliance providers, perhaps or like contract risk providers, such that they can all interplay together within MetaMask institution and across all these protocols. So uh, we're quite pleased with the with the product and its success. We got hundreds of customers. Ah, I forgot to mention very important. We also have reporting, which is very important for a lot of these uh, institutions. Um, I think the success of MMI, it, which has also had a lot of success in Brazil, is kind of indicative of like where we see it into the market. So. We work with six types, I would say, of institutional customers. And we've had relative amounts of success with each, uh, particularly in Brazil. I can name like a customer from each of these profiles, which I think is quite interesting. Obviously, you got the crypto funds, like the just the crypto native funds. They exist to, you know, participate in DeFi. Uh, we have a ton of them. Uh, we're starting to see more and more. Uh, in the U.S., we saw a bit uh, for a number of years, but in Brazil, particularly as kind of the regulatory um uh, environment becomes more clear with some of the landmark legislation that's been passed. We're starting to see more and more hedge funds, family offices, traditional funds that may be deploying half a percent, one percent of their portfolio, but they do want to get in not just tokens but actual participation in DeFi. Uh, we've number of VCs obviously who use us because you know they can do very varied types of token uh, allotments and stuff within MetaMask institutional. Um, We have a lot of of DAOs and foundations, obviously they have to sit on a number of their own tokens and manage them. And I think very interestingly, the last two types of categories I would call kind of like builders. And in Brazil, we've had a a ton of success with this. And I think this is a testament to how mature Brazil is becoming is we have a number of exchanges, fintechs, banks and neobanks that use MetaMask Institutional to kind of create like structured products for their customers So imagine like maybe if all your customers understand what USDC is, they understand what Aave is, they would like to put USDC into Aave. But uh, it'd be great if they did with MetaMask. I salute them if they use MetaMask. But it could be that like if you are, you know, like a lower income person, you just want to save $7 a week. The complexity of doing that and the gas management could be a little tough. Whereas maybe your exchange could say, hey, we have a USDC Aave product. It's very transparent. You're buying USDC, it's going into Aave, but they can like minimize the cost because they can aggregate like a book of orders from like a 100 customers instead of you having to pay gas on the $7 each time. We actually have a customer in a Latin American country doing things like that right now. We're very excited about and we're talking to a number of our uh, Brazilian users about it, whether it's like staking or DeFi or maybe even letting people like have like a voting tool if they want to vote, if they own like Maker or other tokens so we see that a lot across exchanges neobanks fintechs and exchange exchanges neobanks fintechs and banks banks which is very interesting in brazil there's now banks banks like not neobanks but traditional banks i really got to salute btg for all the work they've done even going back to 2017 uh to be active in the space um so we're really excited about that and then the last category of mmi user which i also think is quite interesting for brazil is we work with a lot of like Brands that are not necessarily like investing or anything, or creating like like financial products for customers, but they are doing interesting things with like digital collectibles. So when you think about like, you know, if it's like a collection of NFTs, like sometimes when you buy, you participate in the mint or whatever, like on OpenSea, that's not really the way it's necessarily going to work. When it's like loyalty schemes or like tickets, right? Those essentially just have a supply chain, right? So like. A brand will mint, like let's say a concert in Brazil, uh, maybe with some of the tickets have like token gated backstage access. They'll probably mint all those in advance and have like an inventory of them and then distribute them as folks buy them because they can do different cool things with like gas subsidization. So how do they manage all those different NFTs that they've pre-minted or their collections? Um, They also probably have treasuries, right? So if they're selling these things, they're building up treasuries of like USDC and Matic and ETH. And if you were a traditional business, if you were a valet or Mercado Libre or something in Brazil or whatever, GE in the US, when you have US dollars and euros, you usually do productive things with them, right? So like you buy T-bills or certificates of deposit, well, you may want to like stake them or use like DeFi to have like a good treasury management uh, strategy for those. You may also have these assets, not from proceeds, but to subsidize gas. So we'll help you manage that. And then also just like the dot-com rush, there is a lot of like, uh, you don't want you know some of these holding companies if you think of like a unilever or like a pepsi frito lay they own pepsi they own frito lay they own dasani they don't want people buying up all the ens and like lens profiles for these names so much as you would stockpile.coms they're kind of protecting themselves there so like those last two categories of mmi user which is again you know i, I kind of want to push mmi here because it's a product but i also want to give some insights to your, to your to your customers about the industry at broad. i've been really pleased as I have worked with MetaMask Institutional globally, we see these different type of customers in every country. Uh, but I would say in Brazil, we really see like a good uniform distribution across everything that I just named. So VCs, protocols, crypto native funds, hedge funds, and you know larger funds, as well as kind of like brands really doing cool digital collectible and loyalty stuff and exchanges, banks, neobanks, fintechs, creating really cool products. Brazil would probably be, uh, I would say without comparison, easily top one top two markets globally for folks really doing interesting institutional web three stuff because in some countries there's a lot of institutions getting a web three it's like okay buy sell hold eth bitcoin okay that's great but you know web three is much bigger and i think there's a certain parity between there's an approaching parity between what you can do in web three and what at least brazilian institutions are like attempting to do which I, i find quite inspiring
0: yeah, I, I find the last example quite interesting. It's, this is a, kind of a world I haven't really delved into much of, of you know, kind of domain name squatting, essentially, like all of us that, that were you know, we were too young to, to capture, you know, get in on the, the domain name, the, you know, the dot com domain name rush uh, back in the early 2000s. You know, people are going out and buying up, you know, trying to buy things on ENS and unstoppable domains and, and whatever. Um, you know, I've already bought like You know domain names for all my kids and you know my cousins and everything like uh you know all this kind of stuff and and yeah like people are gonna go out and try to be like well might as well petrobras is like sleep at the wheel i'm gonna go buy the you know the petro petrobras.ens uh you know the petrobras.eth like name or whatever uh so it's interesting that you have companies getting in just just almost taking like a protective stance in a sense like okay if this thing does become big we need to make sure that we have our kind of our ip uh covered and then the nft mints um, I mean, you, you do have a few, few interesting experiments here in Brazil of, of brands that have been, I would argue, successfully have been rolling out some of these NFT kind of loyalty schemes. Um, you know, it's like Hizerva, the, the retailer. Um, there's a few of these that have done, you know, they've been like, you know, I mean, I think some of the interesting NFTs peter off, petered off in the last year or so, but, uh, but there's been quite a bit of successful examples of some of these, you know, I think Rock and Rio did a, like an NFT mint uh, for some of their customers, NFT ticketing scheme uh so there's some pretty interesting stuff happening on that front and um it's just kind of interesting like you know thinking through like what's the operational you know what's what has to go into the operations of that on, behind the scenes to actually manage all these nfts and like where are you going to keep them are you going to keep them in like you know like some random guy's like metamask account or are you going to keep them in some place that's a little bit more you know it's like it's like you know a crypto exchange with like one guy controlling you know it's a uh, you know gerald cotton all over again potentially right where the one guy dies and runs off like what are you gonna do with all these nfts right yeah, I so, can't say whom, but a
1: few years ago, we had a museum come to us actually to use MMI because they were building up an NFT collection to kind of complement some of their physical and plastic and, you know, painting art. And uh, they were like, yeah, we, we, uh, you know, when the collection was two or three items, it was fine. We had the ledger, but now we're getting, we're kind of freaked out about it. Like, can we please use MMI with one of your custodians? Because <laughs> we have like, you know, 150 NFTs on this one ledger. Uh, we need to professionalize this. Yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. and. I would like to get a bit more color on um, just from your you, your vantage point here on the institutional side of things, like on the kind of the, you know, what we, I guess in crypto language, when we talk about institutional investors. We're talking about kind of like VCs, hedge funds, family offices, that type of thing. And I think the perception in the Brazil market has been that the market, like crypto has really been more of like a retail driven thing here, perhaps even more so than in other larger markets. But I think some of that's been changing over the last year or so, just given the regulate the legislation that was passed and that we're going to have regulations incoming. And obviously, the central bank is rolling out its its digital real, uh, Drex, uh, system. Uh, so this is we're kind of rapidly, you know, snowballing toward uh, mainstream acceptance here. So we'd love to kind of get your your view on how this has, you know, how maybe like a perception around this asset class amongst you know what in crypto we would call the institutions, quote unquote, has been been shifting. Uh, just given your conversations with folks in the region.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say Brazil is is, is really a success case without. Almost parallel, I think there was very. There's been a thoughtful process over a number of years, and an interaction between the likes of, uh, you know, folks who work at protocols, folks who work at software companies like myself, um, uh, financial institutions, wallet providers, etc., to really craft a really uh, again uh, thoughtful comprehensive view to protect folks, but also enable innovation. And um, I think the fruits of it are, you know, already uh, very clearly indicated by some of the moves that we've seen. I think that Brazil already was a, I think a very pioneer nation. You mentioned that retail drove a lot of it, which is true, but I think there's, there really has been, I think really um, interesting, Uh, I would say, support from a number of institutions. So whether it's the likes of like BTG, who I think has been very pioneering, both like from their crypto desk to like their launch of Mint to their BTG dollar and all the work that they've done as a systemically important bank, which is very unique, you know, to really innovate in that space, but to do it responsibly and demonstrate that it can be done, as well as folks like, you know, Mercado Bitcoin, T2M has been around forever to see them get that that grant from the bus end to be a payment institution and participate um, independently was quite was quite nice to see. I think um, you know the entrance of others, uh, the, the stuff that new banks done has been quite exciting. At least uh, you know if you're the fastest growing digital bank, having crypto offering really uh really does serve to be an interesting on-ramp for new users i mean not on-ramp in the like the psychological on-ramp of okay now i'm a crypto user um we saw a lot of that with like the likes of like paypal and venmo and all that in the u.s in the past years like 17 18 so it's nice to see like a very trusted name you know providing folks that that kind of sandbox with which to kind of enter the space and uh you know, so that, that, that's that been ongoing even, you know, before last year, before last December this June when things went into effect. But I would say that, um, you know, with the clarity, the amount of conversations that I have with whether it's, you know, funds have always had a little bit of the liberty to invest in uh, like, you know, Web3 and DeFi by incorporating in like uh, the Caribbean. But it is nice to just be able to like walk to someone's office on Faria Lima and say like, hey, you know, with an existing fund structure, we are now able to. Uh, do this without creating like a new entity and BVI or whatever. So it makes things a lot easier from an operational standpoint. On the fund side, on the bank side, I mean, I'm just really again, you know, I can't salute enough folks like BTG and New Bank, and you know, Itau has been really much in the space for a long time. We did like a many years ago. We created like a tokenized uh, carbon credit network with them and RBC Consensus, uh, RBC Itau, and another bank that's escaping me now. But you know, it's been really great to see them all. But I think. Since June, what we're really seeing is a very um, uh, uniform uh, entrance by a number of the Brazilian FIs. And I would say due to the earlier innovations by a lot of these folks, it's a little bit more innovative than in some countries. Again, as folks enter Web3, as financial institutions enter Web3, that kind of means buy, sell, hold Bitcoin, ETH, maybe throw in another asset. Right. I, I think it's been very exciting to see when I talk to Brazilian institutions, they are talking about, okay, cool. Let's create a better remittance product. Let's give folks access to different Web3 protocols. Let's let folks participate in DeFi. Let's talk about staking. Let's, um, uh, let's look at, you know, cool things we can do with like NFT loyalty programs. So it's not just like the breadth of institutions entering the space, but I think the breadth of things that they're trying to do with Web3 uh, is one of the reasons that I am, you know, endlessly excited for Brazil. Um, and then, of course, totally outside of that at all. Uh, It remains for the folks that feel comfy using their own MetaMask wallet, particularly now that we've got portfolio and learn that makes it super easy. Um, It is, you know, Brazil has been one of our top, like top six, top 10, top five countries, top three countries over the past year changes, you know, month to month. But um, yeah, it was like, I think our biggest contributor to MetaMask growth in like 2021. So both on kind of like the FI side and building like a very structured kind of safe city walled garden place to play as well as as folks become true like denizens of web3 um, i can't think of a better market than honestly than brazil in the entire world
0: that's great color thank you appreciate that uh and going back to the, the the metamask retail side uh brazil you mentioned brazil's been one of the you know kind of the top one two three markets pretty consistently for the last couple of years and I'm just wondering why you think that is uh, i mean obviously there's a the population size it's a big country big you know big population uh, but is there something like unique about, you know, like Brazilians that, that, that make that maybe they're more, you know, conducive, they're open, open to taking these risks to kind of get involved in these types of projects? And do you have any analytics on maybe, you know, obviously there's different phases of engagement with MetaMask, right? There's opening a wallet and putting some ETH in there. And then there's like using all these tools more advanced and like aping into kind of different projects or, you know, doing swaps and bridging and staking. And there's a whole different, you know, there's a whole suite of different levels you can go to as far as your engagement with MetaMask goes. Uh, Is that something you're able to, um, you know, do you have any kind of color on like how, how sort of sophisticated are the users of these, of of this product?
1: Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, generally when we look at a country's adoption of like web three stuff, there's usually traditionally kind of three metrics that kind of drive it. But I think there's now a fourth and I think the fourth is really a differentiator for Brazil. Uh, The first three are kind of like what is the unbanked and underbanked population like and i think brazil you know for what it's worth uh, i think the banks the, the 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 private banks the public banks the central bank all these different players um have done a, a a better job than a lot of places in latin america i mean for the most part latin america there's like a McKinsey report on like rent seeking that comes out every few years latin america does tend to have the most rent seeking banks so that's like i when you just charge people for nothing, like it's not even like a real service. Brazil, I'm not throwing Brazil under the bus here. Brazil, if you look, look at our survey, people think the financial system in Brazil is is pretty good. There's room for improvement, but that we see other countries where the results are like way worse. But it, as long as there's room for improvement, there's always going to be room for like democratizing things like Web3. So, I mean, we see in the US too, where there's like endless options for like uh, banking and financial services. Folks do want things where they can do like cheaper remittances, better savings, more exposure to other currencies. So like the whole stable coin revolution has been really big. I mean, particularly I work a lot throughout Latin America and I think times when like folks saw the market as, you know, negative or whatever. A lot of like Latin American folks I talk to like what's negative? I own my stable coins, uh, like <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm not, uh, you know, like, it's like 80 percent of my portfolio, so I don't really uh, mind because they're doing it for real world things, whether it's savings or amends, et etc. So you know, there is that kind of thing about the underbanked and the unbanked, which is I think is a driver in Brazil, like it is everywhere. Um, maybe a little less than some of the surrounding countries in Latam. There's also things around inflation. You know, inflation is everywhere. Uh, you know, in Latin America, it's obviously top of mind. Uh, you know, but I think in every country there have been instances of inflation. So folks in the past few years, at least uh, folks trying to find ways to mitigate that. And frankly, in Web3, it's a lot easier than having like a multi-currency account with a broker. Like if you're not a hundred thousand or a millionaire or whatever, it's very hard to have access to these type of services. Whereas, you know, me just as a, any person really could have a, you know, a select series of maybe euro and us dollar stable coins deploy them into DeFi. even eth you know ethan bitcoin or whatever you know provide some protection depending on the market dynamics etc so that's another one and then third is really like you know how online people are are they extremely online and brazil like the us is an extremely online country people love their their social networks they got you know a lot of facility with both kind of laptops smartphone penetration etc So, um, you know, that's another part of that kind of mix that we see in those three countries, kind of underbanked, unbanked inflation, high technical acuity and adoption. And the fourth I would add is that I think Brazil, as we do this transition into a lot of non-financial applications, has always been, you know, a country where folks are, you know, if you look at like Felipe Neto and these big like famous like YouTube streamers, If you look at like the Orkutch back in the day and then, you know, Facebooky and all that stuff, the number of Twitter users, like Blue Sky, if you look at Blue Sky, initially, like all the users were in like the US or Brazil. I think it is a first adopter country, A, with all new technology. So that does help the Web3 instance. But then B, as people do search for like a better WhatsApp, a better Telegram, a better um, Facebook, a better Twitter, um, obviously, I think, you know, Web3 is a space where there can be a more democratized, um, uh, a place, a better democratized service where you have some say in the future of the platform, uh, where you receive some type of like compensation for your activity in a way that's very transparent, obviously YouTube, I don't know, YouTube and, and Twitch and then pay folks, but I think there could be much more easily auditable, understandable, uh, um, you know, uh, compensation frameworks. And of course, Felipe Neto makes money from like YouTube the average person who tweets does not get like a micropayment for each tweet that they do that it gets a like. Right. So like um, I think there's a lot of space there in Brazil being such a creative country, a place where there's so many great, like, you know, music artists, actors, there's like a whole Hollywood system. You look at like the Porta dos Fundos folks that blew up just from doing YouTube because they were tired of writing for TV or whatever. And you know, all the success they've had, I think supporting you know, with the Web two revolution that gave them that opportunity to all leave their jobs working for like Globo or whatever to become have their own show, um, which then got picked up later. But they needed that space to do it on their own. I think Web three is going to really be a space for even more of that creativity. So, you know, I think Brazil is just a perfect melting pot for all of that.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. When I think of Brazilians, like the first word that always comes to mind is just savvy, right? Like there, if there's if there's a way to like hack you know, some, some, you know, if there's a clever hack to like engineer some sort of, you know, you know, kind of financial outcome that it's in your favor, like they're going to find it in some fashion, whatever, whatever it may be. If it's, you know, washing cars or if it's, you know, playing, doing play to earn games or, or, you know, using decentralized social media platforms that pay you for posting stuff or whatever it might be. Right. Um, one last question for you and then I'll, I'll turn it over just for some final thoughts or if there's anything else you wanted to add. Um just kind of looking at Brazil's uh, kind of place globally, and uh, I really would appreciate your vantage point on this, just because you've you operate in Brazil and you also have kind of a, a much more of a global vantage point as well. Uh, just uh, given your your role with Consensus, and I mean, as we're as we're speaking right now, uh, kind of the the focus of the crypto world is really in like Korea. There's a Korea Blockchain Week going on. Everyone's going to go to Token 2049 in Singapore, and it seems like all all the energy is like really just focusing on Asia right now. And I think. And even to Hong Kong, some extent as well, uh, which is also Asia, Asia, but I didn't mention it. Um, and I guess, the you know, the reason I started this platform two years ago, Brazil Crypto Reports, I just felt like this is Brazil is just easily the most like overlooked market in the whole world. Like, how is it? How is nobody paying attention to this? It just seems crazy, right? People get all excited about like, oh, like some small country in Asia has like new crypto laws that might be friendly and people are all excited about that. But like, like there's this massive market right here, right, right beneath you that like you're, you're just totally overlooking. And just kind of wondering, like, what would it, what's it going to take for, like, the industry to like really start like recognizing Brazil as, like, giving it the credit that it deserves, essentially, as being this market that we should be like really investing in and paying more attention to.
1: Yeah, it's a super interesting question. I mean, I hope it happens tomorrow. I hope people uh, get smart about Brazil and Latin America broadly. So, I mean, Brazil is certainly a leader, but if you look at countries like we did the survey uh, also for Argentina and Mexico because uh, there are large concentrations of MetaMask users there. Um, and then, I mean, some countries are, sm- I mean, Uruguay has like 3 million people. It's like the size of Philadelphia, but like the crypto adoption there is very high, right? Now, even if 100% adopt, it's only 3 million people or whatever, but it's still a lot. We see the same dynamics in Chile, Peru. Dominican Republic is a huge crypto country. I think uh, I live in New York. It's very Dominican city. I think some of the interplay between New York going back and forth. Has uh, so maybe contributed that, but Dominican Republic is a super leader too. So I do want to say the entire continent, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of time for, a lot of hope in. Uh, Brazil, particularly though, I mean, again, previous to working at Consensus or even in Web3, I've been working in Brazil since I had a Nota Fiscal job when that launched. I was helping integrate when companies first had to do their integration with the CIFAS to report their Nota Fiscal. Uh, so, you know, I've always been in love with this market, just super innovative, super smart people. I would hope that, you know, folks really do start to perceive the size, right? You know, what was it 200 something million folks turned 15, 16 or something, 230? Don't quote me on this. Um, but then also the penetration of this and really the breadth of activity that's going on. You do see that a little bit. I think SoftBank did a big investment to 2TM. Um, uh, Coinbase was looking at it as an acquisition target. You know, BITSO is originally Mexican, but they moved into Brazil. We obviously are a global company, but we're very dedicated to Brazil. So you do see it. Uh, from a number of folks, I, I, I would hope that it would continue. I think the developments in the standardization and the comprehensibility of the regulatory framework are really going to contribute a lot, where folks do kind of innovation both in the way that people immediately see in like the retail world, but there'll be a bunch of stuff behind the scenes and like pure financial work too, like you know just working on delivery versus payment of securities, stuff that I'm sure B three and um, XP and all them are working on around tokenized securities or tokenized commodities is really, I think, going to be a, a benchmark for a of the world. Because in a lot of countries, if you look at like a network like Linia or something like that, banks are like, forget like a product for retail customers, just behind the scenes, back office kind of processing. There's already a lot of space to innovate there, but they need that regulatory kind of like clarity to really start building those products. And it's not about endangering retail people. Retail people wouldn't even know. It's a back office kind of software innovation that like has been ready to happen for years and hasn't happened yet. And I think in Brazil, they're in a space to make that happen at least with the Brazilian banking community. Um, but then also, you know, whether people ignore Brazil or not, I think there's a lot of like uh, what's it called like endogenous activity in Brazil. You can ignore Brazil. It's still going to grow. It's 200 something really 200 something million, really smart, creative people. And I think that's kind of been the case for the past, you know, X amount of years. I would love to if more U S folks or Canadians or French people thought about investing or creating localization services for brazilians we are certainly you know pushing a lot of our stuff in portuguese it'll follow Portuguese. Uh, you know we've probably f- f- well no i was gonna say 15 we probably have 50 people in consensus who speak portuguese so we take it super seriously um but all that said again you know uh the rest of the world could ignore brazil i think uh two years from now it would still be a uh, you know a much larger more sophisticated intelligent exciting dynamic market just because of the strength of the people and uh, you know how exciting the ecosystem there is
0: yeah very well said very well said um, yeah that's the thing it's like brazil's going to it's just going to keep doing its own thing irrespective of what the rest of the world thinks essentially right it's kind of proven that throughout history that it's 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 its own you know has the freedom to be its own sort of entity and just it's going to do what it's going to do um, I guess that concludes my questions, but uh, if you had any other final thoughts or anything else you wanted to add that you wanted folks to know, uh, I'll turn the mic over to you. And uh, also how should folks get in touch with you if uh, if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, surely. Uh, yeah. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I, I quit Twitter. I have Twitter. I just read it now. I don't post anymore. Um, I'm trying to be productive at work, uh, but um, yeah, LinkedIn, feel free to hit me up. You can also contact um, for any of our business lines. Uh, for Metamask Institutional, uh, which super interested in promoting that in Brazil. If anyone just goes to the site and requests a meeting, we will do it to you. We we, we will schedule one that day, the next day. Super pumped to talk to people about that. Uh, for Linia, if you go to linia.build, Build, um, you know, we're really excited about getting adoption of this new exciting Type Two, fully EVM equivalent Layer Two out there. Um, uh, so you know, really, uh, we're, we're we're super responsive here at Consensus. Feel free to hit up the website, ask us about Snaps, MetaMask Institutional, or uh, linea And I'll be back in the market probably uh, three or four times this year. I probably have a Florianopolis, Sao Paulo, and Rio trip. I've, I've got to get out of the way before. You know, the, I've already been to Brazil like three times this year. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> super pumped. Uh, always about the market. Uh, I, I said, you know, even if folks ignore Brazil or whatever, it's going to keep growing. I'm not going to. I'll be there. So uh, <laughs> really pleased. Um, always to chat with folks and just... Uh,
0: Yeah. Thanks so much again for the chance to speak today. Amazing. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for your time. Uh, It's great having you on the show here and uh, thanks everyone for listening and we will be back soon with another great episode. Awesome. Have a great day.